John chapter 10. Before we look at verse 30 and following in our text for this morning, um, because it's been a few weeks since we've been in, in John chapter 10, I want to remind you a little bit of what's been taking place so far. Um, what an incredible chapter this is as far as being able to see the heart of our God, being able to see his character, being able to see some of his attributes as he describes himself as the shepherd, the good shepherd, or as he describes himself as the door in which we enter in. But we find in, 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 our, in this chapter him saying things like, like he says in verse 7, And most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. We have a shepherd here who's just saying, I'm the door. I'm the one in whom I will give them life and, 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 and that which will be an abundant life. He says in, in verse 14, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and I'm known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them I also must bring. And they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. He lays down his life for us, the sheep. Um, gives it to us. And then from there, we look at verses 22 and following, where it tells us that it's the feast of dedication in Jerusalem. It's winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch, and then... Um, it tells us that the Jews surrounded him and, and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And this is Jesus' answer. He says, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. So a few weeks ago, we looked at that passage, and what incredible words those are, aren't they? You think of us as believers, us who are his sheep, and he says here, I, my sheep, they hear my voice. They hear me. And we would be amongst those who said, I heard him. I heard him through his word. I heard him through the preaching of his word. I heard him through my circumstances and him just bringing me to this passage or bringing this person into my life, bringing me to salvation I heard my shepherd's voice, the sweetness of a shepherd who calls out to his sheep and says, I must bring them also. They will hear me. They will follow me. And to think that we are here because we serve a shepherd who called us, 
by the sweetness of his Holy Spirit calling us unto salvation. And then from there for him to say, and I give them eternal life. Give it to them. I give them eternal life. I give them a life that makes it so that they're no longer dead in their sins and their trespasses. They get to spend eternity with me. I give them eternal life so that all of us can just think of a thousand years from now, we're with him. 10,000 years from now, we're with him. A million years from now, we're with him. 10 million years from now, billions of years from now, we are with him. We will have entered into the joy of the Lord. We will behold him in his glory. We'll see him face to face. There'll be fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. We will be his bride and he'll be our bridegroom. We'll be long to him and be with him forevermore. And with sweet words from our shepherd, I, I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. This doctrine to me is, is, is one in which I find such comfort in. To know that my salvation is not based on whether I am able by my own strength to keep it up until the end. But to hear my shepherd say, you're not going to ever perish. To be so safe to hear him say, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Jesus saying, there's no one. There's no one that can take you from my hand. There's no one that can snatch you out of my hand. To be able to be in a world that has chaos around us and sin and temptation and failure of each one of us as believers and to hear our, our shepherd say I hold you I hold you in my hand and there's no one that could snatch you out of that hand and then for him to just reflect his deity where he says my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand I and my father are one my father is greater than all. Nobody's able to take them from his hand either. He puts himself in a place where there's perfect unity between him and the father. My father is greater than all, and no one's able to take them out of his hand. And then Jesus saying, I and my father are one. We begin there for our text this morning. Jesus is saying, as he says, I and my Father are one, that there is complete unity and same essence between him and God the Father. That Christ is fully God in all of his perfections. We have the Nicene Creed, which within the Nicene Creed, it says, and that there is one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God. Begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made. Within that creed, it's saying this is who he is. He is God of God, light of light, very God of very God. Begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made. Part of the proof text for such a creed is found in our text this morning where he says, I and my Father are one. We are one. The Jews knew exactly what he was saying when he said that. 
Evidence of that is comes in verse 31 where it says, Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. As soon as Jesus said, I and my Father are one, it says immediately the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Think of the rage that's there. Think of, of, of what was taking place within their hearts. Picking up stones as he's speaking these words, as he's just said, I'm the good shepherd, I'm the door. My sheep hear my voice, they follow me, I give them eternal life. I and the Father are one. And, and what's going on within these people as they're listening to this is such hatred, is such anger that they pick up stones and their intent is to throw them at Christ until he can no longer stand, until these rocks keep coming at him to where it takes his life. They're prepared to do that. They're ready right in the midst of it to take the Son of God, God himself, and to start pelting him with rocks because of the words that he said. Words that to us are some of the most precious words that we could ever hear. And in their hearts, it's, let's kill him now. No, no trial, nothing like that. Let's put him to death right now at this place and let's do it with rocks that we throw at him. Well, Jesus answers them and he says, many good works I have shown you from my father. For which of those works do you stone me? I've done many good works that I've shown you from my father. They came, they came from my father. Which of those works do you stone me for? He sees them pick up rocks. He knows that they're about ready to throw them at him. I've done all of these works. They came from my father. I came to do my father's will. I only did the things that pleased my father. What is it that you're going to stone me for? What are the things that you're going to throw these rocks at me for until you put me to death? Do they want to stone him because he turned over 100 gallons of water into wine? No. You look at the miracles of Jesus. There's a nobleman's son that was at the point of death. And Jesus, from over 20 miles away, says, Go your way, your son lives. The nobleman found that at that exact time, the boy was healed completely. Was it because he healed a little boy? Was it because he cast out demons out of the people? Was it because he healed Peter's mother-in-law? Or was it because he told them, throw your nets on the other side and they filled up the boat with fish? You think of the response of the the disciples as they saw that. Our text tells us that, that, that they pulled in all these fish and that the disciples, they forsook everything and they followed him. If he's able to do that, if he's able to take us who are seasoned fishermen and haven't caught anything all night and tell us, just throw your nets over there and we just pull in more fish than we've ever seen, we'll forsake everything and follow you. You think of the leper that came to him saying, if you're willing, you can make me clean. The guy that people throw rocks at, the guy that has to walk around saying, leper, leper, 
The guy that is away from his family, that lives in a leper colony. And Jesus, we're told, was moved with compassion and stretched out his hand and he touched him and said, I'm willing to be cleansed. And as soon as he had spoken this, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. So you start replaying in your mind things that Jesus did over the course of his life. I mean, radical things. People seeing this guy who was a leper and, and, and just seeing him immediately be touched by Jesus and be made completely clean. Leprosy to where his eyes would have been sunken in. His, his fingers would have probably been worn out to where they were gone. His toes worn out to where it's just stubs that he's walking on. I've seen people with leprosy in, in, in Sudan. And you see them and they, they clearly look different than everybody else. Because their nerve endings have died and they've lost their fingers. They've lost their ears, their nose. Um, just look radically different than everybody else. And this man just being made whole. Later on, ten lepers at one time being made clean. Think of the man that was brought before Jesus who was paralyzed. And remember, they lowered him down. Jesus says, man, your sins are forgiven you. Everybody gets angry. How can he say that? How can he say that he forgives sins? And Jesus' response is, why are, are you reasoning in your hearts? What's, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He says to the man who is paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. And immediately he rose up before them and took up what he had been lying on and departed to his own house, just glorifying God. These guys saw these things take place. The Pharisees, the scribes, the Jewish leaders, they're hearing these things, they're seeing these things, they're having the lepers come to them and say, can you, can you recognize and certify that I'm, I'm clean? They're seeing all of these things. And so Jesus is saying, well, why are you going to stone me? Was it because he healed the man who was paralyzed for 38 years, saying, arise, take up your bed and walk? Or was it because he healed the man with a withered hand and made it completely whole? Are they going to stone him because he healed the centurion's servant? Or are they angry because Jesus stopped that funeral procession and, and found this, this widow who had lost her only son and he caused that son to rise again from the dead? They're all seeing what takes place. You stop a funeral procession and there's a boy that has died, the only son of a widow, and Jesus sees it and has compassion and just says, Arise. And he does. Are they angry that Jesus can cause a storm to cease, making it evident that even the wind and the sea obey him? Or a woman who's sick, just touching the hem of his garment is healed by faith? Or a 12-year-old little girl who died, and he held her hand and commanded her to arise from the dead, and she did? Was it bad to make blind people able to see or mute people? able to speak? Is it wrong to multiply fish and loaves and feed 5,000 men plus the women and children? Or is walking on water worthy of being put to death or healing the deaf and the mute man or causing a fish to produce a coin to go pay your taxes? Or in the next chapter, we'll see that Jesus has Lazarus rise from the dead after three days to the point where he stinks. So you think of just the life of Christ. You think of everything that he's did. He never sinned. Not at any time did he ever sin. He never gossiped. He never 
was in a place where he was angry in a place where he was in sinful anger. He never hurt anybody. He never stole anything. All that he ever did was doing the things that please the Father. It's all he ever did. All he ever did was speak truth. All he ever did was expose hypocrisy. All he ever did was be in a place where he pointed them to himself and to God the Father and to a way of salvation where they could spend all eternity with him. And so Jesus is saying, so which of the works have I shown you from my Father and for which of these works are you going to stone me? What is it that I did that makes you come to a place of wanting to put me to death by throwing rocks at me? Well, the Jews answered him saying, for a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you, being a man, make yourself God. The reason why we're going to put you to death this time is because you've blasphemed. Before, it was because he healed somebody on the Sabbath. Before, it was because he had done other things like that. This time, they're saying, it's because you, being a man, make yourself God. And did he do that? Yes, absolutely. I mean, you see that just in the verses right before where he says, my sheep, they hear my voice, they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one's able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. And they knew exactly what he was saying. They're saying, we are going to stone you now because just now when you said that you are the shepherd and that you give eternal life and that you hold people in your hands and the Father who is greater than all holds people in his hands and you and the Father are one, that's why we're going to stone you today. That's why we're going to put you to death. Jesus had said on numerous other occasions things that made it very clear his deity. Saying things like in John 8, 58, Most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Making it very clear that he is Yahweh. He is the I am that I am. He is God. They picked up stones to kill him. When he told the paralytic that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And he did. When he called himself the, the Lord of the Sabbath, over and over again, Jesus made it very clear that he is, in fact, God. He says to him then in verse 34, Jesus answers them, Is it not written in your law? I said, you are God's. And if he called them God's to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the Son of God? James Montgomery Boyce in this section says this. He says, in looking at what Jesus just said in those verses, you need to turn to the text he's quoting and see what the words mean there. And it comes from the 82nd Psalm where that phrase comes, you are gods. And it's used there in reference to the judges of Israel. It's talking about the judges that are there in Israel. The judges 
are called gods there, not because they are God or divine, but because they act as God in their role as judges. A holy task that's given to them. So now, boy says, Jesus says, I too have been sent into the world by God the Father, and that for a specific task. In that task, I exercise authority and power just as the judges of Israel did. If the word gods can be used of mere men because of their function, if judges can be called gods, then how much more should I be called God in the full sense since I have received a unique commissioning and exercise unique power? In other words, voice says, Jesus was not denying that he is God in a unique sense. Far from it. He was only denying that he had spoken words that were improper. The words are proper enough if spoken merely in relation to man. How much more appropriate are they than of Jesus, who is much more than man, who is God himself? And so in this phrase, he's just, he's in, in, this, in this section, he's saying, You've, you refer to the judges as gods, but now one who is here, who actually is God, who is far greater than that, who's been sent by the Father, who's been sanctified by him, who has been given this mission to come as the Son of Man, as the Son of God, to come to redeem mankind. Why is it that you have a problem with me saying what I'm saying? From there in verse 37, he says, If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do... Though you do not believe me, believe the works that they may, that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Therefore they sought again to seize him, but he escaped out of their hand. Jesus said, if I don't do the works of my Father, then don't believe me. If you're looking at my life and you see me doing something that is not consistent with the works of Almighty God, then don't believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works so that you might know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. You look at his life and you say, is it consistent that he is from the Father? Is it consistent that he is deity? You look at what he did over the course of his life and you see him with the ability to create as he turns water into wine, as he multiplies fish and loaves as he does this, the ability to create. You see him with the ability to heal. You see him with the ability to make blind people able to see or mute people able to speak or deaf people able to hear to make leprosy go away. You see him with the ability to forgive sins where he says, your sins are forgiven you and just so you know that I have the power to forgive sins, arise, take up your bed and walk. Who has the ability to forgive sins? God alone. So he's saying these things, if what I'm doing is consistent with the Father, then believe me. If I have the ability to make a little, a little girl or to make a boy or to make Lazarus rise from the dead, then believe me. There's no one that's ever been able to do anything like that before Jesus or ever since. I mean, you look at the life of Jesus, and I, I just hit on some of the miracles that he did early on. I mean, who, who is able to say, go catch a fish, and when you catch the fish, there's going to be a coin in his mouth, and just take the coin and pay the taxes. And it's exactly what you owe for taxes. Wouldn't that be awesome if you could do it? My wife's a CPA. She'd probably say, well, you still got to pay the gift tax on the coin that came in. you know." But that's what she's thinking. That's what goes through her mind. There's times where I'm like, honey, this is awesome. We don't have to pay taxes on this at all. And she's like, oh, we actually do. I'm like, ah, oh, before I didn't know, I was free. Now I know. 
But you see him do things that nobody else can do. Who can do things like that? Who can, who can take somebody with a withered hand and just say, maybe whole. And it just grows and becomes whole. You see him doing things that are consistent with the Father. Especially when we look at his death. He dies on the cross for our sins. As had been prophesied all throughout scripture. He fulfills all of the prophecies that are given. Pointing towards Christ from Genesis all the way through. Fulfilling all of them. Where he was to be born. The way in which he was to die. Where and how he was to be buried. Every detail, the, the, the exact timing in which he would die as a lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. That picture of the Passover lamb. The exact timing in which he would be put to death. Every detail of his life is totally and completely inconsistent with what God had revealed throughout all of scripture. And Jesus is, is saying here, if I don't do the works, my father don't believe me. But if I do, then... You ought to know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. If he has the ability to die on the cross and give up his life without one bone being broken, just as the prophecy had been told, the casting lots for his clothing, all that took place on the cross prophesied of what would occur. And then, just as he had prophesied, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so would the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And on the third day, what had happened? He rose again. If he had not come from the Father, if the Father was not in him, if he was not of the same substance and same essence as God, God of God, light of light, if he wasn't, then all of these things would not have happened. But these things were prophesied and did happen so that you would believe that he is God. I mean, you go through all of scripture, you see what he has done, and these guys are seeing all of it, and the hatred in their heart is just, let's kill him now, let's seize him now, let's put him to death, and shortly after, he will give up his life, and he will be put to death by these people. But it's according to his terms, in his timing, at that perfect timing that was prophesied thousands of years before. It will happen at that point because Christ is sovereign and he is God. He's in control and he's going to say when it's going to happen and how it's going to happen and how he's going to give up his life for the people, for his sheep. It's just radical when you look at it. And Jesus is saying, believe the works. Just look at my life. Believe the works. That you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. I don't know if everybody here is a believer. I know there's people who come to church because someone's invited you to come. And you may hear these things. And your response may have been in the past of things like, well, I just don't know that it's true. Or I don't know for sure that he's gone. I don't know for sure that he's the only way. I'm not certain that, that, that he is the one that was prophesied all throughout Scripture. We just scratched the surface this morning. Look at his works. Look at all the miracles that he's done. Look at all the prophecies that were given. Look at the fulfillment of all those prophecies. Look at the fact that he died on the cross just as it said, and he rose again on the third day just as he said. 
and he ascended into heaven. Look at the fact that the disciples saw all of these things take place. And what did they do? They followed him. You, you see it with, with Thomas, where Thomas sees all that, that occurs and, and his response in, in seeing these things and seeing what, what Jesus had done was Jesus says to him, as he says, unless I, unless I see the wounds there, as I touch them, Jesus says to him, Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands. Reach your hand here and, and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. You can touch the wounds in my hands and you can touch my side. You can see that I am Christ who was crucified as Jesus appeared to him after he rose again from the dead. Thomas's response wasn't, you know, like, oh, you've you got a great makeup artist. His response was, my Lord and my God. He immediately recognized Jesus' deity. My Lord and my God. And Jesus says, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Oh, how blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. We have the testimony of God's word. And I'll tell you, there's no one here that's actually touched his, his hands or put their hand in his side. And yet God would say to you, and blessed are you, even though you have not seen, you believe. You know that Christ is God. You know that he is the Messiah. You know that he died on the cross for your sins. You know that he rose again on the third day. And you know that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And God would say, and blessed are you. Even though you have not seen, yet you believe. These guys hear all of this and they sought again to seize him, but he escaped from their hand, out of their hand. In verse 40 it says, And he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was baptizing at first. And there he stayed. He goes from there to the place beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing, where the ministry first started. place that was special to him a place that meant something to him the next time he goes into Jerusalem it's going to be to be crucified and so he's there saying I'm going to go someplace special I don't know if you have a place like that I do Dana Point Harbor I, I was baptized there but I used to go down there and study I would go down there. I didn't get married till my until I was almost thirty three. So, in those years, I would have date nights with God in Dana Point Harbor. Just go down there, just me and him, spending time with him in prayer and worship and reading his word. Still, the place I love to go. Just you go there, and immediately, it's just like I'm with the Lord here. This is just it. Just brings back incredible memories to me of just dates with God, spending time with him. Jesus goes, and he goes again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was baptizing at first, and there he stayed. And then many came to him and said, John performed no sign, but all the things that John spoke about this man were true, and many believed in him there. He had just gone from a place that was so hostile towards him to now being in a place where he's there. 
He's not performing crazy miracles there like he had done in so many other places. But they're just looking at his life and saying, this is what John said and this is who you are. Here are the words that you say, and it just tells us, and many believed in him there. There beyond the Jordan. A little verse like that. Verse 42, and many believed in him there. I love that those people, we will one day meet them in heaven. To think there at that particular place. There was those that heard him. That saw him. He had just come from a place of having to to quickly escape and leave. Because they're about ready to kill him. And he goes to this place where he was baptized. He goes to this place where the ministry first began. And he goes to this place and it just tells us that they saw him. They evaluated his life and what John had said. And it's the forerunner and what now has taken place in his life and just says, and many of them believed in him there. They came to know Christ at that time. They believed in him. They followed him. Where is it that you believed in him at? If there's anyone here this morning that is yet to believe in Christ, may this be the place in which you believe in him. Just as I go down to Dana Point Harbor and spend time with the Lord. May this be the place where you come and you sit and you worship and you recognize God spoke to me on that Sunday in that place. And made it so evident to me that he is God and that he is my savior and he is my Messiah and he is my only hope in this life. And it was on that day in that pew at that spot that I believed in him looking upon that old rugged cross. And may today be the day of salvation for you. God is good. Whosoever would come to him, he would in no way cast out. He'll hold you in his hand. The Father who's greater than all will hold you in his hand. And there's no one that will snatch you away. He is a good shepherd. His sheep hear him. They follow him. He will keep you for all eternity. Amen. Let's worship him together now as we, after we close in prayer. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word this morning. The section in, in John chapter 10 as we close the chapter and just see that without any doubt, you and the Father are one. Seeing your miracles in which you performed, the evidence is that you truly are the Messiah, that you truly are God himself. Emmanuel, God with us. I pray tonight or today that we would just find ourselves just so secure in you. Loving who you are in the way that you have revealed the Father to us. And I pray on, on this morning that if there is anybody here who came into these doors as an unbeliever, that by the sweetness of your Holy Spirit, as the good shepherd, you would speak to their hearts and draw them unto you. 
that they would believe that you are God and that you are their Messiah and that you died on the cross for their sins and rose again on the third day and that they would follow you from this day forward as their Lord and as their Savior. May each one of us leave this place washed of our sins, belonging to you, and praising you for this great salvation in which you have blessed us. By your grace, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. We will have elders, um, some of the pastors, they're out in the, the courtyard area. Um, feel free to stop by and ask for prayer as, as, as you exit. But if there's anybody that needs prayer this morning, please, please don't leave without getting prayer. And if today's the day that God saved you, please let us know so that we could rejoice with you and just encourage you in your faith. Um, we'll sing a couple of worship songs and then pray for the team. There's 11 people heading out for Haiti on Friday for 10 days. We want to be praying for them before they, they head out. So let's worship.